Please support Unfound in 2024 at Patreon, YouTube, or PayPal. On this episode, I talk about breaking Colonial Parkway murders news. I give my own non-political opinion into the Jeffrey Epstein list. I pass along some interesting original Night Stalker insight. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including more panky letters. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for January 8th, 2024. All right, everybody. It is Unfound Live for January 8th of 2024. Do not forget that. It is now 2024. How many of you out there have uh, had to write a date over the past week and messed that up? I take great pride in in, uh, knowing that I've not done that, but the year is still young. Just get in those habits over the course of 365 days and uh, becomes a little mindless, I guess. And all of a sudden, you're writing 23 when it's supposed to be 24. Of course, what's also interesting about 2024 is it is a leap year. So to uh, quote Van Halen, everybody jump. Yes, we have 366 days this year. That should be fun. I don't even know um, what day of the week, uh, February 29th, will uh, fall on this year. I haven't even looked into that. And I do wonder if you're born on that day. I've heard, do you get to choose? Do you want your birthday to be February 28th or do you want it to be March 1st? And I, I'm wondering if there's like if is it like an even fifty fifty split? What people pick? This is uh, something that's on my mind right at this second. But welcome to all of you. I have a spectacular lineup of topics for tonight. A lot to talk about. In fact, uh, just huge news. Huge news. Huge, 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 huge. It's, you know, um, if you watch Seinfeld, uh, huge, Jerry, I'm huge. Uh, from uh, Kenny Banya. Um, huge news today that I will be going over. Uh, I, I guess we could, it's a huge surprise. And we'll see uh, where it goes. But we, before we get too far into this, um, please give this video a thumbs up. Please, please give the show a thumbs up as you are watching tonight. Please do that. Just get it out of the way right now. We don't want you to forget about that because you know the show is going to be awesome. And also, if you're not yet a subscriber to this channel, maybe uh, 2024 is, uh, a year, maybe somebody's joining this live show for the first time, getting into true crime for the first time in 2024. If you're not yet a subscriber to this channel, please do so. And if you could, some of you, if not all of you, please, if you're watching on YouTube, hit the join button below and support 
what we do here by joining this channel. And of course, I want to thank everybody who is watching on Facebook tonight as well, being that we are, we've been simulcasting uh, to both locations, I'm going to guess for about six months now, or maybe even longer than that. So please do all of that. Uh, other ways you can support Unfound, paypal.me forward slash Unfound podcast. And as you can see across the bottom of the screen, patreon.com forward slash Unfound podcast. So let's see who's in here. And uh, we will uh, continue on. Uh, Nephew Charles getting in first. Good to see you, Charlie. Karen, Marty is in early. Everybody note that. That is unique. Good to see you, Marty. We uh, we joke because we care. And Jasmine, uh, uh, Jasmine says she hasn't been here for a while. COVID and pneumonia still recovering. I was uh, sick myself, as I talked about last week, starting on Christmas. I, I, I have to admit, I still don't think I'm actually 100%. I'm still once in a while coughing up some phlegm and some things, although energy-wise, I uh, feel fine. And I just found out this evening my assistant, Eric, uh, sent me an email. He has been sick. And what's weird about that is he was in the Pittsburgh area just like I was in the Pittsburgh area. It seems he got the flu or something, and he's still in Pennsylvania. He was supposed to go back to North Dakota, I'm guessing, last week or something. He hasn't been well enough to travel. So he is fighting something that he also got in uh, Pennsylvania, just like I got sick while I was there. Uh, Lisa says, hi. A hello from Blizzard, Missouri. Uh, that's funny. And uh, Kathy, hello to Kathy. Hello, Kathy. How are you, Jill? I've messed up the 23, 23, 24. You are forgiven, Jill. Hello, Carrie. Assistant Carrie, good to see you. Sheree, thank you for moderating tonight. And Macy. And Carrie says, my aunt celebrates twice on leap years. Wow. Isn't she special, Carrie? Valerie, Stephanie, I knew someone who was born on leap day. And their sibling was born on March 1st. They just always celebrated the Leap Day birthday on whatever the last day of February was. Okay, they're, they're, we're getting some clarification. Some people do know others who um, were born on February 29th. Uh, Art, Van, Art Vandalay, that's funny. Huge, yes, huge. Uh, Charlie, just trying to stay warm. Mary Jane, how are you? D, how are you doing? Stitching, good to see you. Hazel, and D is uh, stitching, says I'm still coughing up. Uh, Phlegm, yeah, yeah, me a little bit too. A lot of people got sick on Christmas. My kids were sick. They're better now. Good to hear that, Valerie. Everybody's saying, uh, the, the Hazel's saying hi to Marty. <clears throat> yeah, I'm hoping that Eric uh, feels... Um, uh, better too, and Hazel and Marty talking back and forth. Okay, well, moving on to some things, just a few quick things uh, about me, what has gone on since, uh, of course, the first day of 2024. Today, I went to the doctor, and uh, this was my annual checkup, 
and everything with me is all good. Uh, blood work uh, checked out just fine, even though you should know that when I went to go give blood, or not give blood, but get blood taken out of me that could then be tested for my doctor's appointment today, boy, the first phlebotomist that I had hacked me. I went in there, and as soon as she stuck the needle in, I said, well, that doesn't feel right. And right away, she goes, oh, I think I missed it. I better go get somebody else. I'm not making this up. And so she leaves this little room, and then like a minute later, she brings back some other phlebotomist. Or no, I went, they took me over into another room. They said, follow me. I went like to the next little office over, next little room over. And uh, that uh, phlebotomist then took the blood out of me. But ugh, there was a time, had that happened, um, there was a time when if that would have happened, I might have fainted. If somebody told me, oh, I missed, I missed it, I got to go get somebody, I might have fainted. These days... I think it's really because of all the dental work that I've had done. So I've had so many needles going into my face and uh, be, you know, anesthesia and all that stuff um, that I guess I've become a little bit immune to being fearful about needles going in me finally after like 53 years or something. But there would have been a day back when I started getting my blood tested, which is like 15 years ago now. That had that happened, I might have just my my head might have just conked out right there. I've never actually fainted, but there were a couple times early on, and there's maybe first five seven years where I just could not safely go out to my car after doing that. I had to like sit down for a little bit just because I got all worked up about it. These days, it's just not the same. But she hacked me. And it looks, I don't know if you can tell, you know, on the, right there. I always get right there. I always get it done on the right arm. But you should have seen that part of my arm on, like, Friday. No good. <laughs> no, no good at all. But luckily, uh, no infection or anything. The arm is fine. And all the blood work checked out fine. My vitamin D is a little low, mainly because... Other than me playing disc golf, I don't get a lot of sun. That's on purpose. So um, he gave me a prescription for some vitamin D. But other than that, my um, what was my um, my uh, blood pressure was like one eighteen over seventy eight. It's like the same thing every time. It's like right smack in the middle of where you're supposed to be, like every time. And uh, we talked about some other things that uh, really, being that it is my health, I just don't want to mention. But overall, uh, everything uh, with me is uh, fantastic, and I, and I feel great. 2023 was a great year, I think, for my health. I actually think my eating habits got uh, a lot better in 2023, really took out a lot of sugar out of my diet, although I still eat sugar. In fact, I had a couple Pop-Tarts for the first time in like years and years and years today. I guess that marketing they did during the uh, college football season, uh, the bowl season really worked on me. Uh, but really, for example, I haven't had any soda like 
Coca-Cola or Sprite or anything since 2022, which is, uh, you know, a, a big improvement. And I've really changed some of the things that I've been eating and everything. And of course, I have a lot of food eating issues anyway with allergies and stuff. So um, lost some uh, few pounds over 2023. And so everything is pretty, pretty good. And I'm, um, I'm really, uh, happy about that. Uh, let me see here what everybody is saying. Um, I felt bad. Uh, Marty says, she, uh, yeah, I missed the think tank yesterday. The kids were not letting me get on last night. <laughs> yeah. Marty's talking about the think tank and that's, uh, you can see that at the bottom of the screen there, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. I'm going to say it again. If you like the content uh, that, w- that we provide here between this live show and the podcast and the map videos and everything else, please uh, support. Think about doing that maybe for the first time here in 2024. Patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And uh, Marty says a hack job. Never a fun time. It, yeah, it was a hack job uh, of my um on my right elbow, but this is the reason that I only get blood taken out of the right arm, never get anything done with the left arm. The le- uh, even though I'm right-handed, although athletically I'm left-handed, I figure I can, if something happens to this arm, I can always learn to write or whatever with my, and eat with my left hand. I don't want to try to become athletic with my right arm. That sounds more difficult. So I always get blood taken out of the right arm. Always. It's not even an option. If they're not going to do the right arm, then I'm not doing it. Um, yeah, they were t- kids were testing Marty. That's funny. Uh, Mary, what's going on? Good to see you. Good to see you, Mary. I hope you're doing well here in 2024. Uh, Miranda. Um, yeah, Rock, everybody's talking back and forth. But kids, Hazel says, good to hear you're feeling better and cleared at the doc said, thank you, Hazel. Um, I make it pretty easy for my doctor. Uh, what he tells me to do, I do. I, I'm, I'm a very, very, I'm very coachable, I guess you might say, regarding these things. Very, very coachable. I listen to every word uh, that uh, he says, and I've, he's been my doctor for about, uh, seven years now, and his name is Dr. Kareen. His last name is C-R-I-N-E. Fantastic. Like him a lot. Like him a lot. Always patient, always knowledgeable, thorough. So fortunate to have him as a doctor. And the good thing is he's younger than I am, so it's not like he's going to retire anytime soon and I have to find another doctor or he passes away or something. So the odds are... If I stay in this area, he could just move my doctor forever, and that'd be fine by me. Um, and uh, Sheree says, I haven't had a soda or a donut since 2000. Really? Sheree, really? Wow, that is uh, – that's uh, really something, Sheree. Good for you. Um, yeah, Marty says, I wife addicted to soda. Yeah, Think Tank is awesome. Marty says – I love sweet things. Rockford. Yes. Um, that's how I feel about salt. Hazel. I love sweet things. So you're uh Sheree is more of a salty 
She's going, when she's at the supermarket, the grocery store, she's going to the salt aisle, not the sugar aisle. Okay, gotcha. Now remember that, Cherie. Okay, so that's, so doctor was good. And I don't have to see him uh, unless, you know, something pops up, of course, uh, until January next year. So that's nice. Um, also, how about my Steelers? Really didn't follow them that that closely this year. Only watched a couple games, but I did watch their game on Sat Saturday where they beat the Ravens. And what do you know? Now they're in the playoffs. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. Uh, they will be playing this Sunday uh, at 1 o'clock at Buffalo. I think they have a shot to win. I think they got a shot. But it was really the first time this year at all that I actually designated time to watch the game. If I do end up watching any sports, it's usually I'm doing like three or four things at one time. Usually it's watching that, but doing unfound work. What, you know, the dishwasher's going or the, or the, the clothes washer's going or something. You know, I got, like I said, I'm multitasking. This is the first time this entire year that I went over to my brothers and then we went over to his neighbors and just watched the game. That was it. And it was nice. We had a good time. And the Steelers won. So uh, we'll see how they do this Sunday. Uh, they're, they're like nine and a half point underdogs, which doesn't surprise me. Um, Marty says, hey, is you a chocoholic? Marty says, Ugg Steelers, this season has been the Bengals. Yeah, but at least they finished with a winning record, Marty. The Bengals did. Um, Carrie says, I seldom drink soda, coffee on the other end. It's what my bloodstream is made up of. I don't drink coffee at all. Never have. Uh, Sheree is already ready for baseball season for her Astros. Already getting my stadium tickets lined up. Good for you, Sheree. All right. So that's just some the personal things going on with me. Um, uh, oh, maybe a couple other things. I went and saw Sticks and 38 Special on Friday night with my buddy Dana. It was fantastic. If you uh, are into them, you should go see them, support them. Fantastic show. The whole concert, I think, was like over three hours. And it was right over here. I can actually see the venue from the 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 balcony on this side of the building up there in Clearwater. Great venue. Beautiful night. Perfect weather. Perfect temperature outside. And, uh, man, they can still get it done. Uh, 38 special, although a lot, um, I think maybe only one or two of the original 38 special members from like the early eighties are still in the band, but with sticks, they still have, uh, you know, of course, Tommy Shaw is still there. James Young is, uh, still in there. Uh, at least one other person, you know, from their heyday, Dennis, the young's not with them anymore, but they got a guy that looks and sounds exactly like him. It was like creepy, but it was so good. And uh, the ticket tickets were very, very reasonable, and it was a great show. I'm glad uh, I went to see them. Uh, that was a great time. Dana and I had a great time. Uh, next concert I'm going to is Tesla over at the Hard Rock uh, Hotel on the other side of Tampa. That'll be on, not two days from now, but uh, but nine days from now, next Wednesday night. So I'm really looking forward to them. I haven't seen them since I was in college. So, and then after that, it's going to be Mr. Big. I'll be going to see. Um, 
Let's see. Ready for some baseball. Yeah. Hazel, love my wake up coffee. Hazel says Rockford. Who is that imposter you have wearing Mason Rudolph's uniform? The real Mason never played like that. I don't know if he was ever really given a chance, Rockford. Uh, I've seen the uh, Valor says I've seen the Eagles. Not really an Eagles fan. Long goodbye tour this weekend. All right. Great. Uh, Valley. I hope it was a great time. Just uh, not a real Eagles fan. Uh, Charlie says it sounds like a good show. They had a lot of hits. They between 38 special and sticks. They have a ton of uh, of hits and songs. You're like, oh, yeah, they do do that song. So, um, yeah. Uh, Marty says, yeah, I posted some pictures, posted some video from that concert. So that was a, that was a good time. And then coming up on Wednesday, my brother and I are going over to the Mecham uh, car auction over in Kissimmee, Florida, just to look, go look at all the cars that we can't afford. So I'm looking forward to that. We, that's kind of a yearly thing we do, uh, when it's over there for like two weeks. So brother Brian and I, that's what we're doing. Okay, let's get started in. I got a lot of stuff to talk about and just want to uh, first throw this out there, remind all of you, not this Thursday, but next Thursday, uh, we got the first Dr. Telesco show of 2024, and you should also know uh, Dr. Telesco's birthday is today. I hope that all of you have sent her a happy birthday. I did post something about that in the discussion group on Facebook. <clears throat> but her birthday uh, is today, and it looks like uh, looked to me like she was doing <coughs> she was doing uh, what she calls horse therapy, going out and uh, hanging out and riding horses. She's a big fan of horses, if you don't know, but that looks like what she did for her birthday. So happy birthday to, to, to Dr. Telesco. But next Thursday, January 18th, as always on her YouTube channel live, uh, I'll be doing, joining Dr. Telesco. And we will be discussing the disappearance of Snea Phillips. Uh, of course, this is a, a young woman who was a, a medical professional, a doctor. In New York City on September 11th of 2001, and she disappeared seemingly that day. And in fact, eventually, she her name has was included in the people who died on September 11th in New York City uh, during the terrorist attacks. But being that I'm a disappearance guy. And, of course, Dr. Telesco was there on September 11th. She was with NYPD. In fact, when I interviewed her at the end of 2022, she talked about that day. I'm going to combine my knowledge of uh, disappearances, and she's going with uh, her knowledge of September 11th. And she and I are going to try to come to a conclusion whether Snea Phillips actually really did die when the World Trade Centers collapsed. Or did Snea Phillips go missing for some other reason? And um, even though her name has been included, you do enough uh, looking around. And of course, her disappearance has been um, covered by a lot of different people, a lot of different ways. To this day, there's still, I think, a lot of doubt out there whether she actually was down there and died when, when the 
the buildings uh, collapsed and we know a lot of people did. A lot of people who were never even in either building uh, died because the, the buildings came down. Uh, I don't think people really uh, anticipated they were, collab- were going to collapse, but they did. And so a lot of people, of course, a lot of poli- uh, police officers, um, firefighters and all, you know, just regular people who were down there near the buildings when they collapsed. I mean, you can't outrun that. So we're going to take a look and try to decide for ourselves. And we'll, of course, in the end, leave it all up to you, uh, the audience, whether Snea Phillips was down there trying to help and uh, got killed or was maybe she the victim of foul play? She was, um, and it did seem to you, or maybe something else, uh, because she did have some things going on in her life that you really wouldn't want to hear about a doctor, uh, given that I just went to my doctor today. If I were to find out that Dr. Tukreen had some of the things going on that Snea Phillips did that we now know about, and the only reason we know it is because she went missing. Uh, I, I have to admit that I might not think about having Dr. Kareen as my doctor anymore. So we have to figure that into us because why? Disappearances are about people. They're not about circumstances. So I hope you all will tune in um, to watch and listen to Dr. Telesco and I. Once again, not, and of course I'll talk about this next Monday as well. But put it on your calendars, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, January 18th, over on the Fischler College of Education and School of Criminal Justice YouTube channel. It should be a very interesting discussion. Anytime uh, Dr. Telesco can pass along her personal experience from September 11th of 2001, you know it's going to be interesting. You know it's going to be a moving discussion. And you should know – that there have been a couple other people who have the same the same thing, people who went down there to help and died. So it's not totally crazy to think that this ha- happened to Snea Phillips. But I think the reason there's uh, some question marks here is because it seems she and her husband or fiance had some sort of strange, you know, unusual relationship uh, going on there. And she went shopping, but those items were never found. Uh, And I think that if she didn't have these other issues in her personal life going on, it might just be a no-brainer. Oh, yeah, she was down there. Because of these other things, it causes question marks. So I hope you will all tune in. Let's see what everybody is uh, – so everybody's wishing Dr. Telesco a happy birthday. I don't think she's in here, but she'll be happy to see. Um, you know, I'll let her know, of course. Uh, when When is that episode, Valerie? Uh, they just uh, – January 18th, 7 p.m. Eastern. Thank you, Kathy, for passing that along. And uh, it's always the same day when Ed's on Doctors. Yeah, always Thursdays. It just – kind of varies on what Thursday of the month, you know, for a while we're doing like the last Thursday of the month, but this month is going to be the third Thursday of the month. It's, it's her show. She can do what she wants. Um, 
Stephanie says, I'm very interested you've recovered this case. Others have covered it, but no one does the deep life like you do. <clears throat> I appreciate that, Stephanie. You just have to remember this is uh, her show and, you know, Dr. Telesco's show. We're kind of limited to about an hour. And I always want to uh, give a chance for any questions or comments from the chat or, of course, Dr. Telesco's assistance. I suppose it's possible that um, we may eventually feature Snea's disappearance on Unfound. Uh, I don't really know if her family would be up for that, given that um, it seems they're pretty secure in their idea that she did die when the, when the buildings collapsed and they may start wondering, well, why do you want to cover disappearance? Because we, you know, we kind of already know what happened. I've never uh, myself or nobody connected to unfound has ever reached out to her family. So, um, but I, I suppose I could think about it, but we're going to talk about it. We're just going to go by what the news story said. Um, and uh, of course, we always leave the uh, the theorizing up to all of you. Uh, Marty says, yeah, I think there are a few different options for Snea's disappearance. Fishing uh, says, happy birthday to Dr. Telesco. Uh, Dr. T has her students on who often have great questions and comments. Yeah, uh, I've known Dr. Telesco now since almost four years. It was like April of 2020. And she's, you know, had different assistants as they move on, graduate. And all of them are always uh, really astute, very well-mannered, very insightful, and uh, she certainly knows how to pick them. So good for her. All right. I started out uh, telling all of you that there was big, 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 big news Huge news that came out today, and so I'm going to get to it right now. And uh, I'm just going to pick one article to read, but as you can imagine, once you find out what it is, there's been a lot already written about this, uh, and I'm guessing some people on YouTube have already done videos about it, even though this news is really only about eight hours old right now. And that is that... Two of the Colonial Parkway murders have been solved. Not two separate incidents, but uh, two of the murders themselves have been solved. So if you're hearing this for the first time, this happened today. Uh, conveniently, it happens today, and I get to talk to it, talk about it just uh, hours later. And so I'm just going to read this article, and then I'll have some insights. And uh, given that this was the last uh, show we did with Dr. Telesco, that's mighty convenient. And it's also kind of weird because uh, this past Thursday, I had a two-hour fantastic talk with a uh, a former FBI profiler. I know how you you know how I feel about FBI profiling. I've been but we had a great conversation um and uh I was introduced to her to her through Caroline Lowe who um of course works at findjody.com and she was the guest for Jody Who's and Truths disappearance she thought that you know we should talk 
And uh, I, I talked to this woman. We had fantastic. I mean, the two hours went like like that uh, this past Thursday. And what's weird is toward the end of the conversation, I actually brought up the Colonial Parkway murders with her. And we had like maybe a five-minute five talk about it. Mainly we talked about Jody's disappearance. Mainly, mainly, mainly. And, um, you know, I, I have to admit I was uh, really trying to uh, pick her brain on on everything concerning Jody's disappearance. And um, we talked about some other things as well. But the Colonial Parkway murders did come up late in the conversation. So it's so, you know, I just did the Dr. Telesco show. What would that have been in November? And then I talk about it with FBI profiler. And then here we go. Two of the murders are solved. All right. So here's the article. Like I said, this is just one of many, many, many that have come out today. This comes to us from Suffolk, Virginia, former Northern neck resident has been identified in connection with two cold case homicides that occurred over 30 years ago. The City of Hampton Division of Police, Virginia State Police Bureau of Criminal Investigations, Chesapeake Field Office, and FBI Norfolk Field Office held a press conference Monday afternoon, that's today, January 8th, today, Monday afternoon, to discuss the updates in the two cases. The suspect's name is Alan Wade Wilmer Sr. So, um, Alan... Wade, W-A-D-E, Wilmer, W-I-L-M-E-R, Sr. And he does have a son, by the way, who is a big-time troublemaker, by the way, because I looked him up. Uh, unfortunately, Alan died back on December 15th of 2017 at the age of 63. Investigators using forensic evidence have declared Wilmer Sr. as the person responsible for the September 1987 sexual assault and double homicide in Olive White, and a July 1989 sexual assault and homicide in Hampton. So they've actually connected him to three different murders, two of which are part of what is now accepted as being part of the Colonial Parkway murder spree. Um, and of course, Unfound covered this back at the end of 2022, one of the longest episodes ever, uh, but we'll get to that. If he were alive today, the Commonwealth's attorneys in the Isle of Wight and Hampton say he would be charged with both crimes. Both cold cases are now closed. Wilmer Sr. has been tied to a series of double murders from the 1980s uh, known as the Colonial Parkway murders, which Wavy has been following since they happened. Officials announced his DNA matched one of those cases, which begs back to September 21st, 1987. That's when an Olive White, and that's W-I-G-H-T, County Sheriff's Deputy discovered 20-year-old David Lee Nobling's truck on Ragged Island. Two days later, two bodies were located along the shoreline, identified as Nobling and 14-year-old Robin Margaret Edwards. So this is the couple uh, to remind all of you. Uh, David Nobling was in a relationship with a, a grown woman. In fact, she was pregnant. And actually, he was with her earlier that day. But then that night, he secretly went over to Robin Edwards' house, and she's only 14, and picked her up. And the belief is that where they were murdered in that area with his truck being there, they went there to do stuff. Stuff, uh, adult stuff that a 14-year-old should not be doing, especially with another with a, an adult. That, if you're wondering, well, which one is this? This is the 
this is that one. This is actually the second one. Of course, there was uh, Kathy and Rebecca who were murdered in 1986. This happened in 1987. Keith and Sandra went missing in 1988. And then the other couple was murdered in 1989. It was just one year after the other. This is the second incident. Uh, David and Robin had been both been shot in the back of the head and Edwards Robin, uh, the 14 year old had been sexually assaulted. Alan Wade Wilmer senior has been connected to the July, 1989 murder. Also of 29 year old Teresa Lynn Howell, um, known to her family as Terry. Howell was last seen alive on July 1st around 2 30 AM outside the Zodiac club on East Mercury Boulevard in Hampton, which no longer exists. Just after 10 a.m. the next day, when construction crews arrived at a work site on Butler Farm Road, they spotted some woman's clothing. A short time later, a body was discovered in the wood line not far from the clothing. So he murders these two, uh, David and Robin, in 1987. And then approximately roughly two years later, in 1989, he murders a woman who is just by herself. This case uh, has been actively investigated by the Hampton Police uh, Division with assistance from the Virginia State Police and the FBI. According to state police, a DNA profile for Wilmer was only able to be legally obtained. This is very interesting. I want you to listen to this. This is is amazing. According to state police, a DNA profile for Wilmer was only able to be legally obtained after his death. Now, why is that? Wilmer, in his entire 63 years, had never been convicted of a felony. His profile was compared to DNA collected from the victims and positively linked to Knobling, Edwards, and Howe's homicides. Until this match, the two cases were not suspected to be connected. I want to thank the Edwards, Knobling, and Howe families for their patience and understanding over the years, says Lieutenant Colonel Tim Line of the Virginia State Police. Moving on, law enforcement officials are now asking for the public's help. help. During the news conference, officials confirmed Wilmer drove a blue 1966 Dodge Fargo pickup truck during the late 1980s with a Virginia license place that, yes, reads E.M. Raw. So it's E-M-R-A-W-M-E-M-Raw. He also had a, I'm guessing that's a personalized license plate. He also, uh, you know, of questionable uh, <laughs> morality or taste. He also had a white pickup truck, a van, and a silver 1989 Ford F-150. They also mentioned Wilbur lived on a small commercial fishing boat named the Denny Wade around the time. He would dock along rivers in the Chesapeake Bay and Gloucester and Middlesex counties and the Northern Neck. If you have any information about Alan Wilmer Sr., please contact investigators by calling the FBI tip line, which is 1-800-CALL-FBI, or submitting a tip online at tip.fbi.gov. Anyone with information can also reach out to the Virginia Virginia State Police by email, which is questions at vsp.virginia.gov. So uh, I'm just going to read what everybody um, is writing, and then I'll continue on here. Um, uh, incredible news. Serenity says, Marty says, incredible coincidence. It drops today. Yes. Just in time for the live show, Marty. Uh, Hazel says, oh, that poor girl taken advantage of by two men that night. Yeah. At least it would give some answer to the families of the murder victims. 
Uh, sorry if I missed it. He died, and then they collected his DNA. That's right, Cherie. Uh, I'm going to get into that in a moment, Cherie. So you just hold on there a second. Unfortunately, there's only so much I can say, but I'll, I'll, I'll explain why. Robert Edwards went on a date with Nobling's relative brother cousin that night, right? Did we know or suspect a sexual assault in that case, or is that new info? Rockford, good question. To me, it's new info. I don't remember talking about that in that episode, but maybe I did. It's been a while. I I do have to admit that when I read that, it seemed like a surprise to me. I don't remember. I know it's going to fall. I don't remember knowing that. I kind of sound like a politician or something now. But you very well may be right uh, that that was kept out of the news, but maybe it was some uh, out there somewhere and I missed it. So, Rockard, if you're thinking that it's new info, then – and I'm thinking it's new info, probably is. Maybe some of the other people in the chat tonight uh, can – you know, maybe they can pipe up, uh, comment, and see if they can remember if a sexual assault was ever mentioned in regards – to Robin's death. So that's the story. Now, going back to what Cherie asked, wait, sorry if I missed it. He died and then they collected his DNA. Why? Well, first of all, we have to understand, given that he never committed a felony seemingly anywhere in Virginia, maybe committed somewhere, but because of that, his DNA never got collected. Now, that's the one reason. Now, you may be then asking, well, what even put them on to him? And unfortunately, I can't tell you. I know, but I'm not allowed to say. And what I mean by that is uh, when I heard about the news, I I do have a group uh, messenger chat with um, uh, Keith Collins, Sandra Haley's families. Well, the, who, the, the people, at least, who were the guests. If you'll remember that Sandra's sister, Terry, was a guest and that Keith's um, brother and sister were guests. I think he has other – they both have other siblings, but those are the ones who were, were the guests way back at the end of 2022. I still have a, a, um, a group chat with them, although I've not spoken to them in a while. When I um, – heard the news, I went into that chat knowing that they would see that I commented and just said, hey, I saw the news and everything. And I ended up having a a somewhat long back and forth with Sandra's sister, Terry. And she told me some things. However, I'm not allowed to go public with them. I I apologize, just can't. In fact, I have to admit you're even fortunate that I'm even telling you I spoke to them. But uh, I I did find out um, why they got onto this guy, even though they didn't have any DNA on him until, I guess, just recently, well after he died. Remember, he died six years ago. Um, the thing is, the story, I'm not saying Terry's lying. She's obviously not lying. But what I will say is that the story she told me, if it is true, is once again a situation where police really, 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 really dropped the ball. 
very, very early on. That's all I can say. I'm sorry. I, I don't like to tease all of you like this. I know, but yeah, I know you want to know this stuff. I just can't say everything, but I, I think you should know. You probably, because I know you're wondering, well, Ed, you know, being that you covered it, did you, you, you surely you, you know, reached out to uh, Keith and Sandra's families today, didn't you? Well, the answer is yes. Uh, I know you want to know that. I just can't tell you everything that Terry said. I don't, and I don't know when I will be able to. But the way she explained it to me, it would leave everybody, everybody who would read her words would say, wow, that was a big mistake, Uh, police departments, FBI, sheriffs, and everybody else. That seems like a big mistake. That seems like really, really dropping the ball. The problem I have uh, is that if it, once again, if it is true. The problem I have is that it just seems a little too convenient as well. Very well could be true. But I, I know Terry believes it. I'm going to guess Joyce and Chris, uh, Keith's uh, siblings and other family members believe it. But you know how I am. I'm a, I'm a huge cynic. And so when stories sound a little bit too pat... I start thinking, well, is this really what happened? Or is it just somebody who who's coming forward after the fact? Or was this witness really get the right person? And once again, I don't want to give away too much. So um, I've talked to them, but that's all I can say. Does this mean that Alan Wade Wilmer committed all these crimes? Well, I will tell you how I look at it. And you should also know, um, I also spoke to um, Keith's girlfriend at the time. Of course, they were on and off. Her name was Selena, remember? And I had then mentioned that I did talk to her before those episodes came up. Uh, she coincidentally lives right here in the Tampa area, although we've never met in person yet. But I did reach out to her as well, and she really didn't say anything that um, really didn't really pass along in any information. You have to remember she's really not family. She's been married to another man. I don't know what. 30 years now or something. Um, but I, I will tell you what I told her because that conversation was not private. The issue that I have in thinking that Alan Wade Wilmer could have committed uh, the murders of Kathy and Rebecca, which seemingly started all of this, and then the next year in 1988 caused the disappearances of Keith and. Um, Sandra, and then was also responsible for the uh, disappearances of Daniel um, Lauer and Anna Maria Phelps. Remember, those were the two. They weren't actually a couple. They were going to, was it Ocean City or Atlantic City or Ocean City, New Jersey or, or Ocean City, Maryland or something? Or maybe they were going, they were going somewhere to the beach. And they ended up not getting there. The remains were eventually found. The remains were so uh, deteriorated that all they could tell was that Anna Maurice had like um, knife marks on some of her bones. Seemingly, she was stabbed to death, but it very well made she was st- shot and stabbed or something. They never really could prove the uh, method, of, the the cause of death, even though they did have um, gouge marks on her bones and things. Um, 
to me, what I would say, once again, you, you know, I'm just a disappearance guy. And I just strayed into these murders because I had to talk about them because I really wanted to focus on Keith and Sandra's disappearances. That's what really interested me here because this is what I do. But you got to talk about the whole kit and caboodle. If you're going to talk about it, then you have to talk about these other murders. So I tried to educate myself as much as I could. What I would say is that it certainly means something to me that Robin was sexually assaulted, which as Rockford might have pointed out, this might be new information that's never been released before or not. It doesn't matter either way. But remember, Rebecca and Kathy were not. And I, I will tell you my general idea regarding these things is usually killers like this are pretty consistent. If uh, if they if they're going to kill women and want to rape one of them, they usually end up raping all of them because rape is part of the I'll just say it the enjoyment they get out of it. This is part of that. It's usually part of a modus operandi. I don't know how many killers out there, men who kill women, kind of go back and forth. Well, they, he raped this one, but didn't rape this one. Raped this one, didn't rape this one, back and forth. I don't know how many killers have ever done that. I'm guessing it's happened at least once. But I think more likely it is when a guy decides he's going to kill women and he wants rape, sexual assault to be part of it, that he's going to do that with every woman, at least attempt it, with every woman that he kills. So we know now that he did do that with Robin Ab uh, Edwards in the next year, 1987. But going back to 1986 with Rebecca and Kathy, he did, neither of them were sexually assaulted. Neither of them were raped. That is actually on the record, going back to what Rockford said. That's actually on the record that neither of them were raped. They were violently murdered. In fact, you'll remember that um, that with with Kathy, uh, it's like her 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 head was almost entirely taken off. It's horrible. It's, but there was no sexual assault. So if Alan Wade killed them, why did he not sexually assault them? But then he ended up sexually assaulting Robin Robin Edwards. It seems uh, to fly in the face, I think, what we generally think about guys who do these things. I guess the other point I would make is that the method of death, the murder weapon, are vastly different. There's no allegations that Rebecca Dowski and Kathy Thomas were ever shot. In fact, uh, for both of them, they were violently, violently stabbed and slashed to death. Whereas David and Robin um, were executed. I know David had another wound like his shoulder. Maybe he was trying to run away and something got shot in the shoulder and then got executed. But eventually what killed both David and Robin were, were like what we would call execution style shots, close shots to the head with a gun. So that's vastly different from Rebecca and Kathy. So... There doesn't seem to be a clear modus operandi, and I have to admit this is one of the reasons that I continue to believe that these murders are not all done by the same person. The only problem we have is that going back to what I was told today, 
that if the story is true, then maybe Alan can be connected to some of these, but nothing uh, what I would call forensically, scientifically, or anything like that. And I'm sure not even sure it's circumstantially. So this is what's going through my head. I know you always want to know how I think about these things. And so this is what's been going through my head since like uh, 1.30, 2 p.m. Eastern today when I found out about all this. And the way I found out is the way all of you find out, just hanging out, doing whatever. And then somebody posts something on Facebook about this. I was like, whoa, that is huge. That is huge. So I, I, you know, I'm guessing, uh, and you know me, I always um, have to be the cynic and the doubting Thomas, and I, I, I'm guessing that the families of Rebecca and Kathy and and Sandra and and uh, Keith and Anna Marie and Daniel are automatically going to think that wow, we, you know, we're a lot closer to figuring out what happened to them, and most likely that Alan Wade Wilmer did it. I'm not so sure. There's nothing that I heard today that that leads me in that direction outside of the stories that I was told. But, of course, the problem is police didn't do anything about it. It certainly seems like the story is just a little, 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 little too convenient. Um, so just don't know. I uh, continue – as I continue to say – I don't find it that important to myself that I agree with what my guests think regarding theories. That has never affected uh, my helping any of them ever. I think it by I guess what I my experience recently as I kind of talked about in the uh, in the update episode from this past Friday, my experience is that it when I don't agree with my guests. Not all of them, but a few. It upsets them more than it would ever upset me. I I really don't care if we agree on a theory or not. I really don't. Um, and the the fallings out, the falling outs, or the fallings out of the falling outs that I've had with a few of Unfound's guests has nothing to ever do with for me anyway. It, it's <coughs> it's usually more along the lines of the situation, for example, that the Brown family has gotten in with Phil Klein. It's more something usually like that. For me, it's never had anything to do with me, with me disagreeing with a guest or guests about theories. So, but I always have to, my, my thing is I always have to be truthful with them. That's my standard. And sometimes that means we, dif, uh, we disagree at very, 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 very fundamental levels. But it doesn't bother me. Like I said, sometimes it bothers them. So regarding all of this, it certainly puts it all back in the spotlight. That's good. Uh, if it wasn't already, you know, it, it has its own Wikipedia page. And it's been, of course, their murders and disappearances have been covered over and over and over and over. Uh, but this is one more thing. And now we actually have some answers. And maybe now... Now that this name's out there, maybe there will be some people that are coming forward saying, oh, yeah, that Allen guy very well could be. But, of course, we know the flip side of that is a lot of people who then come forward who really don't know anything, and it just clouds the issue. So um, 
the police even maybe more than ever regarding all of this really now have even more of their work cut out for them trying to wade through if they're really getting any good information from this or not. All right. So, um, let's see now what everybody is saying. Like, like I said, this is huge, um, news today. Uh, so I, I don't know. I hopefully I answered that question of your Sharia going back. Sorry if I missed it. He died and then they collected his DNA. Yeah, they did. Um, but like I said, I can only say so much about that, uh, Sharia, at least publicly. So, um, but I think the most important part is they didn't have any DNA to match it against because his DNA wasn't in the system because according to the state of Virginia, Alan Wade Wilmer Sr. Uh, was a fine, upstanding citizen. Rockford, Edwards went on a date. Yeah. Uh, what, if anything, does this news do to link separate separate the Colonial Parkway cases? I believe they're all separate. <coughs> but does this move the meter either way? To me, it doesn't, Rockford. But I will tell you, it seems like it does move the meter for uh, Keith, Sandra, uh, Keith and Sandra's families, it seems. And once again, it's because of this other story that I can't talk about. Um, Rockford is attorney. I think I, I don't know if I knew that or not, Rockford. Maybe you've told me that. I don't remember that. Hey, is Rockford often listening to Ed talk about these cases? I think they're separate too, but who knows if authorities are still comparing tests against DNA. Rockford, it's not just family members. One reason I stopped getting into true crime discussions online is that too many people take it too personally. They do. They do. I've experienced that uh, myself uh, a few times over the last seven years where uh, a family thinks that I'm all on board with uh, with them thinking everything. And then all I have to do is say, you know what? I really don't. I, I really have a different opinion on it. Sometimes that's all it takes. Sometimes that's all it takes. But I made a commitment back in 2016 when I started all this is that there would be no butt kissing. I made that commitment. There would be no, and this is why, um, as I've stated over and over and over, I'm not an adv- I'm not a missing person's advocate, quote unquote, is the way I define the word. Because advocates, they'll just go along with whatever the family wants because they're there to support them emotionally and all, all of this stuff, in my opinion, is that creates too many yes people around families too many yes people too much group think and i don't do group think now oftentimes i do i'm lockstepped with a lot of, a lot of the guests a lot of times i'm not so regarding all all of this these colonial parkway murders we're just going to have to see i i guess so you could look at the like i've already stated it seems like the methods of the the way these other people were killed and of course disappearances if Alan Wade, Alan Wilmer did this, why, if he killed all these, these other people, then why are Keith and Sandra missing? But all these other people that Alan might have killed, that what were their bodies found? Why is that? Once again, this would kind of fly in the, in the face of the idea that all one person did this, in my opinion. So, um, on the other hand, as it was stated in that article, the murder of this other woman 
was never connected to the murders of um, Daniel and Robin. Is his name Daniel? Let me get that right again. It gets me confused because it's like David and Daniel and um, let me see here again. David. So Daniel Lauer is the other one. David and Daniel is just it's a little confusing in my head. So what could lead us to believe that maybe Alan did do these other murders that have been considered to be part of the Colonial Markway, Parkway murder spree is that until this all popped up recently, David and Robin's murders were never in any way thought to be connected to the murder of this woman by herself, 29-year-old Teresa Howe, H-O-W-E-L-L, in 1989. So it very well may be we just had this guy, Alan Wade Wilmer Sr., who just seemed like the greatest guy ever, never broke the law, no felonies and everything, and then at night he was just the worst, uh, you know, maybe one of the worst killers that Virginia's ever seen. I guess it's possible. So um, this is the big news. And um, it's a little bit of a shocker. But like I said, if if the story that I heard today was true, then really Alan Wilmer should have been caught in the 1980s. If it's true, and we know how we hear these things after the fact. Well, I knew this and I knew that. And, and you just don't know whether you're supposed to believe it or not. Um, I have a little issue with saying everything that I think out loud without being rude for the most part, but sometimes, but some just don't appreciate it. Not sure if it's appropriate to guess, but I would think they found a partial DNA match to a family member to figure out who it was. At least it's very possible. I, and I will be honest, this did not come up in any conversation I had today that I really don't know. Did, did they use Authram or 23andMe? Was it something like that, that they finally put it into a system and, you know, it eventually spit out the name Alan Wilmer Sr.? It very well may be. I heard nothing like that today. That did not even come up. I can't tell all of you that. Very well may be. was not told that today. Hey, though, especially so here in Zuzan where you aren't allowed to rock the boat, got to follow along like good little sheep. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that, Hazel. Uh, but thank you for uh, passing that along to us uh, here in the United States and elsewhere. So that's the big, uh, that is the big news. Two of the Colonial Parkway murders have been solved. Now, it very, you know, here's something that I, I can say this because these are my own thoughts. We have to be open to the idea that very well may be that Alan Wilmer actually did know one of the victims. I don't know if that's been established yet. Uh, in his work, I, I found out that he, I th- guess he was like a tree trimmer. He would go around, uh, he had a tree service. Did he own it or something? But um, he would be like, you see these companies that go by, they get contracted out to take uh, tree limbs away from electrical lines and things like that. That was his job. I ended up finding that out, just doing a little search on him that I did today. So is it possible that in his work, he actually did come across 20-year-old David Knobling. 
Is it possible that he came across Robin Ed- Edwards or, and was maybe following them or stalking them that night? I don't know if there are any facts to d- dispute that. Uh, but as I as I stated back when I talked about this at the end of 2022 and even on Dr. Telesco's show from, I guess, two months ago now, that what are the odds that it would be an adult with an underage girl and those would be the two that would get murdered? What are the odds? So this is something that's also in my mind. I think they sh- really should look into that. Is it a possibility that Alma, Ellen Wilmer did know them or at least knew their families or maybe knew kind of something was going on, maybe knew the situation well enough? I think that uh, we have to be open to that. Uh, yeah, hey, so I just uh, Rockford was just in New Zealand in 2017. Huh, I didn't know that. All right, so that is uh, the big, 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 big story um, regarding all of this. So let's now move. So that was like uh, 40 minutes of that, and it certainly deserved every minute. Let's move on to now a few other things. Um, Like I said, last Thursday, I spoke to an FBI profiler. I think she's retired now. And it, and it uh, kind of uh, makes me a little jealous because she's like my age and she's already retired from the FBI. That must be pretty nice. And we had a great conversation and um, really got it went down deep into the weeds, I guess you might say, regarding uh, Jody Husentrut and um, the, uh, the type of person who might've taken her, could it even be more than one person? Was this, a uh, an assessed fan? Was it just wrong place, wrong time? We, we covered all of that and uh, we kind of ended up, I guess, being very much on the same page, even though I think she and I, uh, come to it from totally different angles, eventually getting to the idea that, Jody's disappearance, at the core of it, it was because she was a public person. Somebody became obsessed with her and wanted to make he or they wanted to make her theirs or his. Uh, We kind of, I think that's where we are, both of us uh, now coming up on coming up on the 29th anniversary this year of her disappearance. That's where she is. That's where I am. Even though, like I said, we come to it, she has her experience and all her education, everything uh, from all her years. And I just look at it, comparing it to all the other disappearances that uh, we've featured on Unfound. And I just try to use what I think I know about disappearances. So I'm hoping um, we did talk about maybe doing some sort of coverage of a disappearance this year together. We'll see uh, how that all turns out. Like I said, we did talk about the Colonial Parkway murders. She also talked about some of her experience, some um, cases that she was involved in, and uh, something that I'm, I, I don't think she'd mind me saying this. I'll say it in a second, but she passed along some of the um, uh, cases that she had worked on. In fact, one of them was kind of similar to Jody's disappearance in which a woman was abducted 
actually from her workplace and eventually how that was eventually solved and who ended up doing, they actually did catch the guy eventually, but it took many years. Um, and, you know, comparing that to what happened to Jody, all very interesting. What's interesting though, also is that this particular woman, um, before they caught Joe D'Angelo, the uh, the of course what they call the original Night Stalker. Remember, there was Richard Ramirez who was in the LA area was the Night Stalker, and then Joe D'Angelo was the guy from Northern California, and then one murder in Southern California, uh, who was then known as the original Night Stalker. No, that's not convenient. That's not confusing at all. And 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 as you know, um, it came finally around that uh, the original Night Stalker in some cir- circles was called the Golden State Killer, like, just to make sure people understood the difference. But she actually worked on that case before it was solved. So we have to remember, Joe D'Angelo just got caught what within the last seven years. Well, it, at a point in her career, she was given the, the file and was asked to, what do you think about this and who do you think did this? Or the, the, the type of person. And uh, she took great pride in in mentioning that she was one of the few who got it right that actually the person who ended up being the original Night Stalker, Joe D'Angelo, really was that burglar who really, really started very, very, very early on in the very early 1970s. And she, uh, she was in the minority. There were a lot of people who did not agree with her. That they thought that really, um, some of you really know, and and I know, there was a time back like in the 2000s where I I took a deep, deep interest in the original Night Stalker and I got the one book and, and read it from cover to cover maybe a couple times. And, but the original Night Stalker was originally known as the Vesalia Ransacker. And then, of course, then he ended up raping, breaking in, raping women who lived mostly by themselves. And then, of course, unfortunately, eventually he graduated to killing people, uh, couples. But even before the Vesalia Ransacker um, label was out there, even before that, there were burglaries that were going on. And this this FBI profiler that I spoke to last week said that she, from the beginning, thought that that was all part of this of the same person doing all of it. A lot of people thought otherwise, and she ended up being right. The other interesting thing she said, and I did ask her this, I asked her a very pointed question about uh, being that being the Joe De- Joseph D'Angelo, the original night stalker. Uh, uh, you know, eventually got caught. I asked her in her work and what she saw about all the fouls and all the investigations that were done and all the people who were interviewed and everything else. Did she ever notice a point in any of that where the police made a mistake? What did was like Joseph, Joe D'Angelo, like right in front of their faces, like the whole time. And she said, no, I thought this was fascinating that all of that work that they did in the 1970s up through the final murder in 1986 and everything since, Joe D'Angelo was never 
on anybody's radar at all. Zero. Never interviewed, never suspected. He wasn't like a Steve Panky guy who uh, kind of thrust himself, you know, just kind of strolled in saying, hey, you know, I, you know, nothing like that at all. Zero. And in fact, uh, in talking about it like we did, um, she passed along to me that, of course, Joe, DeLan- Joe D'Angelo in his neighborhood had a reputation of being angry, a, a very strange guy. Maybe nobody's surprised by that. But not all. she said that it seemed like he never brought up the original Night Stalker stuff at all. Nobody, even though they thought he was strange and everything, they never thought that he was that killer and that rapist. Never thought it. But the biggest thing to me was that she looked at all the paperwork as far as she could tell. There were no mistakes made back in the 1970s and 1980s. There was no opportunity to ever catch Joe D'Angelo. And I realized you cut it really close. They they were doing stakeouts and, and everything else. And he... You know, he murdered that one couple very early on because I think that they had identified him and he thought, well, they're going to go to the police and he got away there. But there was really never any mistakes in the investigation that had they not been made that Joe D'Angelo would have been caught, let's say, in 1978. Nothing. And given the, um, the, the amount or number of whichever is, the number of people that he killed – The number of women that he raped, I think it was over 50, that he was just able to evade all of it and never questioned once. And there's no even no allegation the police even made any mistakes or blew something off. That is something. I mean, that is just. You hate to think that. that would be possible, but I guess it was at least back then. Now, of course, these days, and we have to remember the only reason he caught caught is because science caught him. That's why he got caught. If DNA technology doesn't come along in the 1990s, the way to analyze it, the way it's done now, or if he never leaves any uh, DNA, let's just say, for example, he, he used condoms or something and never left his DNA at the scene of many of these crimes, I guess what she's saying, he never gets caught. He was never, unless he would have, Joe D'Angelo would have had a a striking of his conscience and just walked into one of those police departments and say, yeah, I'm the the original Night Stalker, and I feel really guilty about it, and I want to turn my in myself. Other than that, they wouldn't have caught him, despite all of that. It's crazy. So it's really interesting conversation. I can't think you can now understand uh, why it went for two hours. But like I said, that was even just a small part of the conversation. Most of the time we talked about Jody and a lot of that, that topic was stuff you've heard me uh, comment on before and, and um, you know, theorizing here and there about what could have happened. So, um, but I'm hoping um, – I did send her some um, of the episodes that we've done here at Unfound, and maybe we'll get together on something uh, later this year. I think that might be fun, even though, like I said, everybody knows my 
uh, attitude toward profiling and stuff. I, I'm not changing that. But if there's somebody out there who wants to have an interesting, in-depth, constructive conversation about disappearances where we can throw ideas back and forth and ask questions and I think that I'm learning something that I'm that I'm you know going to talk to who, whoever. So um, let's see whatever uh, what uh, people are saying. Um, yeah. Let me see, Rockford, regarding who's intrude, as far as you're comfortable saying, did any non-Van Slice suspects come up? Uh, we talked about John Van Slice quite a bit. She dismisses him as a suspect. I, of course, do as well. Um, the other suspect that we talked about was the other one. Uh, what was his name? Tony Tony something. I have to admit, when we were talking about it, neither of us could think of his name right off the top of our head at that moment. But... This was the person that uh, Caroline Lowe brought up as being a possible suspect. Um, we did talk about him, not a lot. Uh, in both of our opinions, uh, that guy fits more into what you might say the demographic, the more of the, dare I say it, the P word, the profile of somebody who would have uh, taken Jody. But... Uh, of course, I don't don't think that he's responsible, and I do not believe that this uh, woman, the FBI profiler, thinks he's responsible either. Even though we both admit he's kind of closer to what we have in both of our minds. Those were the only two names, uh, Rockford, that came up, and uh, I, you know, we're just not too surprised. On, I, I guess I'm not too surprised by that. You just have to remember. Uh, this particular woman that I was talking to is not necessarily an expert on Jody's disappearance. She never worked on it in a professional capacity. Just remember, you have to remember that she was somebody. Caroline Lowe took a look at some of the paperwork. Although we did, what we also talked about was the Mason City Police Department. I don't think I want to go public with that. It was nothing flattering. Let's put it that way. So I hope that answers your question, Rockford. Uh, really, we were just. Uh, kind of uh, a very generic type of character trying to visualize a, a generic type out there who was most likely responsible. And I continue to believe that this was a one-time thing for whoever did it. This was a one-time obsessive action that this person felt he needed to do. And it very well may be that he never committed a crime before or after. This is, this is what I still continue to have in my head. I think that's also the reason that's still unsolved almost 29 years later. Uh, Hazel Nightmare, Stories of the Night Stalker. I, uh, is that the book, Hazel? Um, I think it was called Terror in the Night or something like that. Uh, the, the book that I have, Hazel, is not the one that the uh, that the woman who died wrote. Not that one. This is a book that was written by one of the investigators – years and years and years ago that it's black and it has like a sketch of the original night stalker with a mask on, on the front. That's the book I have. Uh, Hazel as a former police officer. Did that assist him going under the radar? I, I asked her that question. Uh, her opinion was probably, I don't know if there's any proof of that, but um, she kind of thought that it was possible. Yes. I don't know. Once again, no, I don't know if there's any proof of that, but I did ask her that and, it's very possible. 
smart X cop, even a smart cop can't beat technology. DNA did him in. That is uh, true, Marty. Rock, in an assembly press conference in Sacramento, law enforcement made a point about saying the killer may have been in the audience. Deal, we did not uh, talk about that. I actually, until I read that, I completely forgot that even happened, Rockford. Uh, like I said, original Night Stalker was not a huge part of our conversation. That was the original uh, Colonial Parkway Murders was probably five minutes of the conversation. Original Night Stalker was probably 15 minutes. Uh, and the other hour and a half, roughly, or whatever, was all Jody Houston treat and just a lot of um, trading of stories back and forth. Some of her experiences and some of the disappearances that I covered, they're kind of like Jody's, et cetera. Great to see real cold cases solved. Sometimes because a family member has been researching family trees with DNA. It could be Tony Jackson, quite a record. Yeah, Tony Jackson. Thank you for reminding me, Rockford. Uh, belated Happy New Year to Hello, Charlene. It's 3.16 a.m. here in, I'm going to kill this word, Tullamore, Ireland. And the only cure for insomnia is the best podcast host ever. <laughs> the one and only Ed Denzel. The best cure for insomnia is the best podcast host. You would think that that would be a paradox or a contradiction, Charlotte, but I am not offended. Great to see you tonight. I hope you're doing well over there in, in Ireland. Rockford, back to who's the truth. What do you think of a link to a report that a truck was following or coincidence or paranoia are likely connected? Rockford, I would put a lot more stock in that if it had happened much closer to when she went missing. Uh, the fact is that happened. I don't even know if that even happened in the same year. She went missing in June of 95. I don't even know if that stock, if it was even a stocking incident even happened in that year, might've happened the year before. So it just doesn't seem that relevant to me. And then on top of that, in her diary, she never wrote anything. It, it, it might've actually happened, but it was nothing that seemed to continue on in her mind. And even if we're to admit that maybe some somebody in a van was following her, it just might have been somebody who, who completely harmless was driving down the street and said, oh, my goodness, there's that woman we see on TV all the time. That's that. What's her name? Oh, yeah, Jody true. Can you believe we're just driving here and there she is, uh, you know, walking or jogging on the street? Completely harmless. So, um, uh, that did, I think, come up last Thursday. Just not significant to me. If it had been the week before, different. And I don't know where the line is. Don't even ask me what, where it becomes irrelevant or relevant. But it just doesn't sound like a thing to me. And I realized she went and started getting classes. I don't know. Yeah, if my working, if my wording didn't give it away, I thought it was a stretch. Yeah, it's a stretch. You know, it's a stretch. And even when it comes to the van actually being in the parking lot and all of that stuff, we know how eyewitness situations are. It just. It very well may be there was a van in the parking lot that morning, but that might have been after Jody went missing or maybe before. I don't know. For all we know, her abductor could have had a Corvette. I don't know. Since I know that seems unlikely. But that's kind of where I am regarding all of this. All right, moving on. Um, got to speak for the first time in a while. David Fine, if you don't remember who he is, he is the guy who's continuing to do a documentary 
and um, close friend of Unfound's, uh, Megan Megan Lyonez, formerly known as Megan Good from the Charlie Project. Uh, he reached out to me. Um, he emailed me 10 days ago or something, and we finally ended up talking on the phone uh, this weekend. And he's a really good guy, and he's he's uh, continuing to work on it. It's been a while. If you're wondering, well, it seems like it's been a long time, Ed. You're right. Um, he came down and interviewed me in 2019. He was like, you know, what, what year, when was it? I said, I remember exactly when it was. And it was July of 2019. You, all of you may be wondering, well, how do you remember that, Ed? Because in that very short amount of time of July of 2019, I, um, what else, what also happened that month? First of all, I went, uh, to the Iron Maiden concert with my buddy Doug. That was his first time ever seeing Iron Maiden, so that sticks out in my mind. That was that same month of July of 2019. And what else happened in July 2019? I went to Amarillo, Texas, and then to Canadian Texas. That was all that month. David Fine interviewing me for that documentary, going to that Iron Maiden concert, and then going to Amarillo. They all, and it all happened within like two weeks. So I, I made a point of telling him, you know, when this documentary comes out, it's going to be really, really funny because I haven't cut my hair since. So we had a good chuckle about that, but he's continuing to work on it. He's still in contact with Megan. And um, he has interviewed some guests of Unfound. In fact, just with that email that he sent me last week, he'd asked me for a couple emails of some former guests of Unfound. And I gave them to him. So I guess it's still in the works. You should know from a documentary filmmaking point of view, this is not that crazy. Something uh, taking all this time to put together. Of course, he's doing it kind of in his spare time. He has other work that he does that actually makes money. This is not something that is a money-making pursuit for him, as most documentaries are not. Um. It's something that he's just very motivated by. He's very emotionally attached to it. And uh, this is why you know, he's trying to do it as much as he can in his spare time. But seems like a really good guy. I uh, just met him that one time in person when he was here. And I, I have to be honest with you. <laughs> Even though I can remember being, because we filmed it in the building down on the second floor in the kind of this kind of a party room they have down there. And for the most part, I don't even remember what I said. I know we were talking about Megan. Uh, I'm sure it was all very complimentary. I don't, I don't remember what I said. So um, I guess I'll, when I see them, when the documentary is finally finished, I guess I'll be as surprised about what I say as all of you will be when you get to see it. So it's still, uh, if you're wondering what's going on there, um, it's still happening. Um, let's see what else. Uh, yeah, word didn't get. Uh, yeah, well, that's a while ago. It was a while ago, Marty. Yeah, that was. Uh, is he going to re-interview me? I don't think so, Marty. Um, certainly, uh, my opinions on Megan haven't changed. Still think she's fantastic. I think th- I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what I said when he interviewed me four and a half years ago. Um, so probably not. There would be. Uh, I don't think there would be any reason for him to re-interview me. Um, but yeah, it was a while ago, but you have to remember that even, 
Hollywood movies uh, often take many, many, many years to come put together. You know, the script gets out there and then it gets in turnaround and then somebody gets attached and then that uh, the actor actress backs out and they get a director and then the director wants to do it his way, doesn't want to do it the production company way. So he or she gets kicked out. You know, this is one of the reasons I don't do filmmaking anymore. So it was good. He just kind of emailed me out of the blue. I was like, hey, what's going on? So there you go. All right, let's move on to this. I uh, had said last week that I had two panky letters, and I finally did get to read them, and so I'm going to read them for you right now. And then I want to do a little um, commenting on uh, something that uh, Cherie had uh, alerted me to within the last couple days. And although I didn't watch the video, I read a transcript of the video, and I was just going to pass on some thoughts on that. But here are the two panky letters. I will read them in, in each order. Uh, you will remember that one came in. Let me see. One, if you'll remember that um, uh, I got these came in when I was out of the state. Uh, these Both these letters came to me after I'd gone to Colorado and Pennsylvania. So they sat in my mailbox for quite a while before I got them when I came back on December 29th. One of them is postmarked December 8th of 2023. The other one is marked December 21st of 2023. And I will read them in the order that they received. Uh, I, I, not to get you too hyped up or anything, but I said I would read them. They, neither of them say much, but this does give me the opportunity to then talk about something that uh, came up uh, that Cherie sent me uh, that I really, really want to talk about. All right, so... The first one says, uh, December 20th, 2023 will be the 39th anniversary of Janelle Matthews' 1984 disappearance from Greeley, Colorado. I, Steve Pankey, am innocent. No justice for Janelle or me in my conviction. My first trial cost me more than $250,000 with a private attorney ending in a mistrial. Half the jury believed me, half believed my vindictive ex-wife. Uh, actually that's, uh, technically not true. I don't know if I've ever told all of you, but I, um, I, um, I don't know if I told all of you, this This is something that's just coming to my mind. I did actually find out, ended up finding out what the split was for the first jury trial. I don't think I've all told you all that yet. All right. I get, I'm going to tell you that I found that out when I was out doing the TV show in Colorado, just came to mind. All right, so my first trial cost me more than $250,000 with a private attorney ending in a mistrial. Half the jury believed me, half believed my vindictive ex-wife. That's not, it wasn't half and half. My second trial, the public defender did not give a def, uh, defense resulting in, in, did not give a defense, res, comma, resulting in my wrongful conviction. I want my case to be the case that causes national judicial reform. Steve Pankey, uh, and uh, as I, maybe I think I told you last week, he has been moved from one jail to another. All right, so here's the second letter that I got. It's uh, dated, um, I can't see it because it blurs it out, but uh, this is dated December 16th of 2023. Ed, number one, on the 4th of uh, July 2008, my 20-year-old son, was Carl, was murdered. I think all of you knew that. I identified his body, seeing his marred face. This gave me more compassion for what God felt 
when his son died and the cross on the cross for my sins. Number two, I know that it's like, uh, I know what it's like to be falsely convicted for a child murder. I'm hated and despised among inmates. This gives me more compassion for what Jesus suffered. Number three, pray for those who continue to lie about me. Pray God will be glorified in my case. Number four, pray for Israel. I guess he's getting a little political here. And uh, pray for revival in America and Israel, United States, return to the God of the Bible on God's written terms in Christ's care, Steve Pankey. So those were two letters. Um, uh, I've not, uh, now you should remember that um, I did write him a letter that I emailed when I got to Pennsylvania. So the second one that was dated December 16th, let me think about this for a second. I would have mailed that letter. So I'm thinking that he mailed the second letter before he got the letter that I sent him. So I've still not gotten a response to what I sent him around December 20th, somewhere in there. And that had to do with uh, topics that came up that were there were questions asked me by the director when we did the TV show out there in Colorado. Uh, some things came up. And although I wasn't taking notes and I didn't record anything, there were a few things that did come up that I was questioned about that I said, well, I want to ask Steve about that. And that's when I did in that letter. Um, I just think that it's surely the first letter and most likely the second letter that I just wrote that stated the 16th. The 16th, December 16th was a, let me think about this. That's a Saturday. And I'm pretty sure I didn't mail that letter to him until like a couple days after that. So I'm hopeful that I'll read that letter that I sent him and he will respond uh, to the questions that I asked him because I, I kind of uh, gave him a heads up on some things. So where I want to go with this, let me just uh, see here. Um, Shree, can you imagine a movie made about the Adelson's uh, annex? I'm going to, uh, yeah, bet there's some in the works. Poor, Pan- poor old Panky Hazel says, uh, Glenn is in. Happy New Year to you, Glenn. Happy New Year to you. Hazel, I can't believe someone hasn't jumped on that already. I bet you're right regarding the Adelson uh, antics. I'm sure there'll eventually be a Hallmark movie regarding all of it. Got to believe that. All right. So on the topic, being that I just read this about, um, read these two letters from Steve. Uh, Sheree, was it yesterday or the day before Sheree or maybe before that? Uh, my assistant, Sheree, of course, is the moderator for this live show who's in the chat right now. She sent me a link to this video that's about two hours long. I, I guess it's the the final episode of the coverage of uh, Chris Watts and the murder of his family. And it's called uh, Chris Watts, A Deal with the Devil. The channel is called Behind Criminal Minds. and. Um, I've never, I have to be honest. I've never heard of this channel before. I knew a lot of people have covered Chris Watts and the murder of his family and all that. I had never heard of it until Sheree sent this to me. Uh, I would admit that I did not watch the video because it was two hours, some long, some hours long. And instead, uh, what you can do with here with YouTube is that you can just 
get the transcript and said, YouTube automatically generates transcripts for all videos posted. So I ended up just reading the transcript instead because that would be faster. I just didn't have the time to really, really concentrate for two hours on what it was saying. And I also have to admit, nothing against the host, but his voice kind of got to me after a little bit. I was going to try to listen to it, at least the first part of it. Couldn't take the voice, so that's the other reason that I ended up going to the transcript and just reading it. Now, if if any of you are going to go check that video out, and I, and you should, I'm not getting paid to publicize this YouTube channel or anything. You go check it out for yourself, see what you think. A lot of stuff levied against Michael Rourke, the the prosecutor, the DA. That you, you have to remember, may, if somebody's if some of you aren't clear on this, you might not realize this. But the same guy who put Chris Watts away is the same guy who put Steve Pankey away. Both happened in Weld County, Colorado, where Michael Rourke, you know, holds the prosecution prosecuting power. Well, in this uh, last two-hour segment, um, a lot of stuff is leveled against Michael Rourke. And I will admit, I'm not sure what to make of it. Um, I, uh, what I want to tell all of you, first of all, is that despite all of these letters, and I have, by the way, you can't see it, but I have all Steve Pankey's letters stacked right here beside me on the corner of this table that's sitting right to my left, uh, right here. In... None of these letters in none of the emails that he and I ever exchanged before the trial ever happened, and not even in the interview that I did with him for three and a half hours, has he ever stated one thing about Michael Rourke? I want you to know that. Um, Despite the things that are said in this video, they may very well be true. I don't know. It's up for you. You know, if you want to go and try to research a lot of this stuff and and everything, you certainly can do that. I I just don't have the time to do that. I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying it's false. What I'm telling you is that despite Steve, of course, as you all, you know, we all feel like we know Steve now. He has complaints about quite a few people. He has never said anything about Michael Rourke as far as any, if there was anything unethical, illegal, anything like that during, done during either trial. You should know that. Even though in this video, they do talk about Michael Rourke in other cases, having done things that seem like not the best choices, not very smart to the point in one of the situations where he made so many errors that a conviction got overturned and got passed down and they had to do it all over again. You can look that up for yourself, see what you can make of it. And they talk about it once again. This is a video called Chris Watts, Deal with the Devil. It's on the Behind Criminal Minds YouTube channel. So even though Steve has, as you know, loves to complain, we know that he has a lot of things against the police. He thinks uh, they're after him. I'm not sure they were. 
but he's been paranoid by the about the police since the 1970s. It very well may be that is the paranoia that then drove him to to thrust himself into the middle of the Janelle Matthews mur- disappearance investigation. Maybe Steve did it. Maybe he didn't. You know how I feel about that. It very well may did it, but I don't know if it was proven. But I want you to know that, and even though, although I can't get into it here, I have some complaints uh, about Michael Rourke. Um, there's nothing that I've ever heard or read, seen, or been told having anything to do with either of Steve's trials that Michael Work or his team did anything unethical. All right. I want, I want to be clear on that. Even though Steve has a lot of complaints, but it's been mostly, as you just heard in this one letter about his ex-wife, Angela, about the police, but nothing, uh, you know, uh, maybe about his, at least his second lawyer, his second lawyer team, the public defenders. I don't, I don't think he's even ever even written Michael Rourke's name in any of these letters. And he, of course, I, I mean, he knows that the, you should know all of these things get read before they're sent to me. You should know that this is me communicating with him is no different than if I were to go out to Colorado and we'd both be on phones talking with each other where everything would be recorded. This is the same thing. All of this stuff gets read before it's sent out. And then the stuff gets read that I sent him, which I really don't care. But not once has he ever said anything about Michael Rourke. In addition, although I've not spoken to his first law, you know, I've, been upfront with you that I've had a uh, communication with uh, Steve's first lawyer, Anthony Viorst, Tony Viorst, V I O R S T, who seems to be a very well regarded uh, attorney in the state of Colorado. Even though I've not had a lot of communication with him over the like the last six months, he's never said anything about Michael Rourke either. And it's not like he's, he's, uh, Tony Viorst, uh, where he is, where his law office is, is not in Greeley, Colorado. I think he's from Denver. He's not even in the same county. So unless Tony Viorst would get hired by another um, defendant in Weld County, it, it would never be the case that he would maybe run into Michael Work again. I really don't know how much work Tony Viorst gets in Greeley, Colorado. I have no idea. But there would be no reason, I don't think, for Tony Voris to be anything to say about the trial if there was any ethical complaints or anything. I don't think there would be any reason for him to hold back about that to me or anybody else. But once again, even the defense attorney has not said anything. So I'm not sure what to make of this. Uh, I'm not an expert on the Chris Watts trial. I'm not an expert on his murders. Uh, You know, he talks... In this other this video, they talk about how maybe Chris Watts might have had an accomplice, and and Michael Rourke let that woman off, you know, scot free. And then this other trial where Michael Rourke did all these things wrong, and it had to be overturned. And then there was a Sandoval guy, and all these things. Um, you know, if you're gonna, I, I urge you to go listen to it, watch it. Um. So. Um, seeing the most normal, uh, let me go up here. Uh, I'm completely gobsmacked by Chris Watts. 
Just can't get my head around him doing what he did. Hazel says he seemed the most normal guy. The case goes to show that you can never say he should or never do that about anyone. Uh, we all know Steve by now. Yeah, Valerie. Shree, how would Steve know anything about Michael Work? He wasn't in Greeley at the time. Well, you, I guess what I'm saying, Shree, is he was there for the trial. He, he, was, he was sitting in there for every day of both trials. He saw what went on. Um, as Steve has said uh, before in some of his letters, you know, about discovery and everything. I mean, he was sitting there and um, he would know if he thought he got railroaded, if, if uh, Michael Rourke got away with things that maybe he shouldn't have. And he's never said that. That's what I'm saying. That Steve was in, you know, and, you know, say what you want about Steve, but he's not, you know, not, he might've been dumb to get himself into a, a murder conviction, but he, he's not, I don't think a stupid guy. I think he certainly would understand if the prosecution and the judges are, and the judge are like, conspiring against them. I mean, Steve's Mr. Paranoia. If anybody's going to think that, it would be Steve. He's never said anything like that. He's never stated that anything went on in his trial that he thought was unethical. And he would be the one to see it, being that he's there for discovery. We know that uh, there's no allegations that the prosecution withheld any evidence that the defense could have used to show Steve's innocence or anything like that. That's what I'm saying. Um, tree was a prisoner though. So he didn't have the privilege he had before when he was innocent. All I'm taught, look at the court documents and the audio recordings. Um, I'm not saying, uh, I don't know what went on in those other trials. Um, I'm not commenting on them. I don't know what went on. I'm just commenting on what I think I know about the two trials that Steve went through. So it very well, I guess what I'm saying is that it very well may be that Michael Rourke did things that were wrong in these other things. There are no allegations by anybody that has covered this trial by anywhere that says Michael Rourke done anything wrong with Steve Pankey prosecuting him twice. Now, I still, you know, th- let's let's remember this. Michael Rourke is not the one who 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 convicted Steve Pankey. It was twelve people who convicted Steve Pankey. All they could do was look at the evidence. So that's what I'm saying. So if Michael Rourke has a history of not knowing what he's doing has a history of maybe cutting corners or anything. It doesn't seem like it happened during the two trials for Steve Pankey. That's what I'm saying. Rockford. It's one thing to have the police after you. It's entirely another thing to do basically everything in your power to force the police to look at you as a suspect, which of course people think happened with Steve. Hey, so I'm starting to deal with the devil now. Well, soon it brings up some culpability of his mysteries, so I would not be surprised. And that very well be, once again, I don't know anything about that. Not an expert on that. I'm just talking specifically about Michael Rourke and his ability as a prosecutor. Do I think that it was questionable that he brought charges against Steve Pankey? I do. I do, because like I said, I I don't think that it was proven that Steve killed Janelle Matthews, but that's not up for Michael Rourke to decide. That was the jury bought into it. You know, very well could be, remember, it very well could have been that Michael Rourke did that whole trial and Steve, they found Steve completely not guilty. So that's all I'm saying, Cherie. I'm not saying anybody's lying here. I'm not saying that the host or anything else. I'm also not saying Michael did anything wrong. I'm just saying maybe cases get tried and convicted to clean up murders in Greeley. Very well could be but then that's still on the jury. 
And uh, granted, I will grant you this. If this had been a bench trial where the judge, of course, we can do that in the United States, uh, you know, in many states, uh, people, the defendants can choose to, instead of having a jury decide it, just have the judge decide the guilt. Now, if that had been the situation, you know, I think then we might be thinking about that. You know, how could a judge come to that conclusion when Steve could not be put, there was no forensics connecting him to that house. There was no, you know, timeline that would have put him at the house, on and on, all the arguments that I've made over the last couple of years. And a judge still convicted him, then then I would be thinking, oh, there's maybe something going on here. But being the 12, just regular people showed up and decided his guilt. Um, and on top of the fact that Steve's never complained about it, you know, um, Steve or anybody else who has covered the trial. Once again, I was only in the courtroom for when I testified all everything else I know is, uh, from reading just the, the newspaper accounts. I've not ever seen the, the trial scrant transcript except for my part of it. Um, but still, I've not been able to find anybody who, who thought that Mike worked in anything unethical and do I think the jury made a bad decision? I do, but that's not Michael Rook's fault. Um, you know, the, I guess we have to live with the idea. It very well may be he was just as surprised as anybody that they they found him guilty the second time around. Uh, you know, and and if anybody, and how much can I say about this, Sheree? If anybody wanted to say something bad about Michael Rourke, it would be me given something that happened after that second trial, but I'm not going to do that. I try to keep her professional. Um, he put on his case, no allegations. I even said this. I think I can say this. Uh, I, when I was interviewed for the TV show, I made it clear that, um, I made it clear that even though I think there's huge questions of whether Steve killed Janelle or not, I'm not alleging anybody did anything wrong. I've not heard anything like that, that any police officer collected any evidence illegally or, or anything else that the prosecution withheld any evidence. I've never heard anything like that. As far as I know, everything was done above board. Everything was done according to the law and they convicted Steve. I don't know what you can do about that. Uh, I think people are more inclined to believe the DA, my personal opinion, no way affiliated with unfounds opinions. Eh. I get that. Uh, I, I continue to believe, you know, my instinct into all of this is the reason they convicted Steve without there being any scientific evidence or anything is simply because they felt sorry for Janelle's family. And I get that. I'm not saying it's right. I don't think we should do law like that in the United States. But that once again, that's that's not the judge's fault. That's not the prosecution's fault. That's not the defense's fault. That's the jury's fault. Uh, Rockford, you make a good point about bench trials. There are some cases when it's a good idea for the defendant. This may well have been one of them. Rockford, that's being that you're the lawyer, I guess, now that I know that, Rockford. That's a great point. I think that's a strong point. If you are a defendant and it's very circumstantial evidence, and of course you know whether you did it or not, it very well may be 
a good idea to go that direction. If you think that, you know, the, you know, the, the, the heartstrings of the jury are just going to be so easy to pull for sure. So, like I said, you can check that out. Just keep in mind that is somebody else's, uh, YouTube channel. That's them talking about microwork and all of that. That is not me talking about microwork. I only have to talk about microwork on the topic that I know, and that is the, the Steve Pankey trial numbers one and two. But please check it out. Um, but it, it does put in my mind, though, that I should email Anthony Viorst and ask him about that and see what he'll say. Maybe I'll do that, and then I'll get back to you on all that. See, this is why you tune in on Monday nights, right? This is why you want to hear all this stuff live. You don't hear stuff like this on any, not even any other podcast, but any other true crime show where I'm actually, you know, talking, you know, reading letters from a convicted murderer and, and all of this type of stuff, you know, how many, you know, I, I get it. If it's some like former law enforcement officer or some former FBI agent, they got all sorts of stories about dealing with the prosecution and everything else. I get that, but you know. You know how much, you know, this is, uh, you get some, I think, a very interesting point of view on this uh, live show every Monday night. You never know what's going to pop up. Um, Let me see here. I don't think I have time, unfortunately. I mean, you heard about this woman who was found in a freezer. I just I ran out of time. I, I think what it had the stuff with the original uh, or the um, Colonial Parkway murders uh, stuff not happened today. I would have gotten to that. But I do want to, and I'm going to stay out of the politics of this, um, and that is now that this list of uh, Jeffrey Epstein has come out. And I'm like I said, I'm not touching the politics of it. I think a lot of people on all sides of the aisles and everything else have a lot to be worried about and a lot to complain about and everything else, my opinion, but I'm staying away from that. There's a bigger point in all of this, though, to me. Uh, yeah, a woman was found. A woman was found dead in her freezer in uh, the San Diego area, and she'd nobody even knew she was missing. Hazel, you may want to do a Google search for that. Just do a search for "woman in freezer in San Diego, California." But here's uh, regarding Jeff Epstein, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, and all of these. Uh, of course, he was. Charged with many sexual, that's why, you know, um, underage and all that stuff. But what should really discuss, this is, I, I was talking to a friend of mine um, within the past week. And what is, I don't know if it's a bigger problem than sex, sex trafficking and whatever was going on with Jeffrey Epstein and all of that. What should worry us a lot more? Is that all these people, and if you've seen the list, there are a lot of uh, well-known people on here. And and people who I believe didn't have anything to do with what Jeffrey Epstein was doing. Okay, I personally believe that. I'm not telling you to believe that. But, and certainly there were some people on that list who certainly were doing things that were very illegal, immoral, and horrible. Certainly. But it, but the way I understand it, if you would show up to one of Jeffrey Epstein's parties or something, there would be girls there 
and they were girls. I'm not just saying cold, you know, just slang for women, but actual girls there greening people and everything. And all of these people never thought that was weird. That's the thing that gets to me. Because I was, I, the way I explained it to my uh, buddy Dave, this is the guy who I went to college with, who lives in Illinois, I went up and visited him in the summer of 2022. The way I put it to him is, you know, I'm a single guy. All of you know that. I'm a straight guy. And so let's just put it this way. When it comes to social occasions and things like that, um, I have a lot more choices on what I can do than any probably married man is going to. All right, let's just put it that way. But here is what I know. If I were ever to get invited to a party as a single guy, and I showed up at this party and at some mansion somewhere, and the person who opens up that big door, double doors to this party, and there's limos outside, like it sounds like all these parties were, or something like that. And there's limos, there's Ferraris, there's, you know, all this stuff. And I get to this mansion. And the person who opens up that door is a 15-year-old girl. Here's what I know. I'm not going inside. I'm going home. Even though I can tell you as a single guy that, you know, my kind of idea about um, morality and things is, you know, if people want to, if married couples want to swing, fine by me. People want to have threesomes, fine by me. You know, I'm fairly liberal when it comes to that type of stuff. But if I show up for some party and I don't even know anything else that's going on, I have no allegations of anything, and the person who opens up that door to let me into that mansion is some 15-year-old girl, I'm out of there. I am out of there. And I don't care who I'm there with. I don't care who invited me. I don't care if I have a date. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I'm out. And it just seems we had all these people that was going on and they chose to stay. Even though I know most of them had nothing to do with having sex with 15 year old girls or anything else. Still, just the fact that they went to these parties and these, you know, I don't go to parties where they're 15 year olds. I don't go. I don't go. Um, that these people went in there and it just never, I guess, seemed odd to them is the big problem. It's not just that there was underage sex and all that stuff that was going that's all horrible. That there were a lot of people who weren't doing that stuff that chose to stay and go to these places, even though the things that were in front of them that should have tipped them off that there's something not right here. Uh, Hazel saying, ain't too hard to, I, even, even, Hazel, even if they're 20, I'm out. I don't care. I, I just, I, you know, I, it would, uh, I, for me, something like that, I would have to know that the women that were there 
or at least 30 years old, at least, before I would stop. I just, that's just the way I am. Just the way I am. And, um, and it just doesn't seem to me that the people on that list are like me. I don't put myself in these situations. I, uh, you, like I said, I, I'm fairly um, understanding and open-minded in a lot of things when it comes to people's personal behaviors and things and relationships and stuff. But there are other things where there is, you know, of course, no negation, negotiation, and that's and it starts well before you know, 15 year olds having, uh, sex with adults. It starts, starts well before that. <laughs> so, um, wow. Um, Sheree says, I feel like in guys, the top 20 list. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, um, uh, yeah, I feel like I can guess that you're also a funny guy. Thank you, Hazel. I have a 15 year old daughter and I can't tell you how sick that Epstein things makes. I, 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 well, I get it, Lisa. I understand that. I get it. But I just think that all of these people who even aren't alleged to have done anything illegal, they're getting too much of a pass too. They're getting too much of a pass. You shouldn't be at places like that. It's what do they say? Nothing good ever happens after 1 a.m. in the morning. It's like that's kind of like what I'm saying here. Nothing good happens at parties when you show up and scantily clad women are answering the door. Shouldn't be there. You know, whether they look like they're 15 or 25, you just probably shouldn't be there. Um, Hazel, sorry, I accidentally hit your command, but Ed read it. Yeah, I hit the wrong button. Okay. I agree with Hazel's point. Also agree with yours. Look, if you're a public failure, why take the risk? Even putting the shaky morality aside, it's not smart. It's not smart. Yeah, but look at the girls at the Playboy Mansion back in the day. Average age must have been like 19. Yeah, I wouldn't be there either. And I, and I say that honestly as a single guy who, who is only attracted to women. I would not be there. I would not be there. Even if I got invited. Hey, Hef, come over. Uh, Hef says, Ed, come on over. You know, you know what? Hef, I'd love, but I can't. Can't do it. Sorry. Can't do it. And I'm not some big moralist. I'm not. It's just that uh, there's just certain things that I don't want my name being mixed in with. There you go. All right, let's get to Friday's uh, disappearance. Going back to early 1979 for the disappearance of Larry Goodman, G-O-O-D, just as it sounds, G-O-O-D-M-A-N, from Park Ridge, New Jersey. He went missing on January 19th of 1979, and his older brother Jim, who is an author, is the guest. And in fact, Jim has written a book about a kind of part fact, part fiction book called Larry's Life Matters. I linked to it. You can find it in the discussion group and on the Facebook page right now um, if you'd like to check it out. But that is going to be this Friday's episode. It's uh, not a lot, ton of details regarding Larry's disappearance, but he was only 16. 
He disappeared the day after his 16th birthday. He had gone, he had run away before for three weeks, allegedly went to Pittsburgh, then came back, stayed for his birthday in Park Ridge, New Jersey. And then the very next day he left. At the time, his family thought he might have been headed to the Super Bowl. He'd become a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. They were going to be playing in Miami for the Super Bowl against the Dallas Cowboys. I think that would have been Super Bowl 13. But there's no proof that, that he actually made it there or that where, where he was headed. But his uh, brother Jim is the guest, and that will be this Friday. Uh, you're going to like Jim a lot. Uh, just a very jolly, laid-back, friendly conversationalist is what I would call Jim Goodman. I had a great time interviewing him. We clicked immediately the first time we spoke. So that will be this Friday. Larry Goodman from Park Ridge, New Jersey, January 19th, 1979. He was 16 years old at the time. His brother, Jim Goodman, is the guest. He has a book out called Larry's Life Matters. If you want to check that out on Amazon. Uh, Sheree says, I would have been there. Look at you. Uh, look at you, Sheree. Uh, I had a grit together and a friend brought a 16-year-old. He was 19. They were asked to leave. I don't contribute to delinquency. Valerie says, Rockford, we started the show talking Steelers. Only fitting we wrap it up that way. And you know what, Rockford? That wasn't even planned. It's just amazing how these things work out. So uh, bye. Uh, Hazel's getting out of here, so that means I'm getting out of here too. Thank you all so much. Once again, consider supporting Unfound this year at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. PayPal.me forward slash unfound podcast. Hit the join button on YouTube. Give this video a thumbs up before you leave. And you will hear and see me on Friday. That's all I got. Shree, thank you for moderating tonight. And Charlie, say hi to the boys for me.